you'd like to follow along, we're, we're going to be reading from today's passage, which is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 to 12. So listen now to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together as we prepare to approach God's Word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have not left us in the dark, but that You have given us a light unto our path. You have given us Your Word, and so we pray that You would open our eyes, that You would work among us by Your Spirit uh, to explain the mysteries of the gospel to us and have it applied to our lives. We confess that this time of year our hearts are often filled with joy, but it is often tinged with sadness in this broken world as we remember our losses. Some of us gather at this time of year and we are confident in your promises and the fulfillment of those promises in sending Jesus, and yet some of us find ourselves skeptical and wondering, is this really true? Is it too good to be true? Father, no matter who we are, we pray that as we sit beneath Your Word today, You would remind us of the wonder of the Christmas story, that You would remind us that we're really all the same. We're all far more broken than we could ever imagine. But because Jesus came and because of the work He accomplished in His life, death, and resurrection, we can all be confident that though we are far more broken than we could ever imagine, we are also far more loved and accepted and approved of than we could have ever dared dream possible. So we pray that You would take us to this good news, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is going to be our final installment, um, and I promise in a series that we've been doing this Christmas season through um, Isaiah chapter 53, and last week uh, I promised that I would be brief, and so I'm going to try to keep that promise uh, this morning. But Isaiah 53, we've been talking about it for the past five weeks uh, during this Christmas season. And we've talked about how it's a song, Um, and it's a song that tells us about the meaning of our Savior's life and death. It tells us about this great suffering servant who would come to deliver his people. And so we've talked about each stanza of this song over these past several weeks. And so we've talked about Christmas and this puzzling servant Jesus. We've talked about Christmas and the upside-down servant, Christmas and the sacrificial servant, Christmas and the voluntary servant. And finally, in these last 
few verses of Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to consider Christmas and the exalted servant. Um, John Newton, who is the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, um, he was nearing his death and his body was failing, but not only his body, also his mind was failing him. But just before he died, he told his friend William J. this, he said, my memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Um, And we are going to be brief this morning, but on this Christmas day, when we celebrate the fulfillment of God's promise to send this suffering servant of Isaiah 53, I do want our Christmas celebration to, to include some meditation on the greatness of our sin and the greatness of our salvation through Jesus um, as we consider Christmas and the exalted servant. So first, think with me just for a moment about the greatness of our sin. Back in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah famously wrote, "'All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way.'" And I would put it before you that that is a great definition of the essence and the greatness of our sin. We've all turned to our own way, right? We've gone astray. We were made to live under the righteous and loving reign of our Maker, but we've turned to our own way. You know, whatever the sins are in our lives, whether that be greed or pride or lust or anger or fear, Beneath those sins lie hearts that have turned away in deep rebellion to our Maker, hearts that aspire to be our own gods, to be our own lords and saviors in this life. The Apostle Paul, he called this aspiration, he called it selfish ambition or vain glory. See, this is the message of the Bible that we are starved for glory, and we're hungering for glory for ourselves, and we're grasping for it everywhere we can. We've gone our own way, and we're trying to prove our value, our worth, our importance, our desirability, our lovability. The greatness of our sin is found in our grasping and our turning away. It's found in our rejection of God as King and our desire to take his rightful place on his throne. That's the first point. So second, what did God do about the greatness of our sin? Here's where we're going to talk about the greatness of our Savior's substitution, okay? Our little section of verses this morning began in verse 10 with this amazing statement, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It it, it pleased And it satisfied the Lord to crush this servant. Why did it please Him? Why did it satisfy Him? Because He came to take our place. He came to take the punishment we deserve. You see this language of substitution all throughout those verses that were read for us a moment ago, that He was to be put to grief. He was was to be made an offering for our sin. He was to bear our iniquities. He was to be numbered with the transgressors. He was to bear the sin of many. 
He was indeed a puzzling and upside-down servant. The Apostle Paul wrote that Jesus, this is in Philippians, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Upside down and puzzling because we're grasping for glory. That's the essence of our sin. We're trying to prove that we're something. But He had glory, and He gave it up. He was something, but He made Himself nothing for us. John Stott wrote, wrote this, Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices Himself for man and puts Himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. This is the greatness of our Savior's substitution. He put Himself in our place. He came into this world and He was born, and He was born to die for the greatness of our sin. But the greatness of His substitution didn't end there. The end of verse 11 says that this righteous servant made many to be accounted righteous. Right? He came to take what only you deserve and also to give you what He alone deserves, His record and the reward of His perfect righteousness. We often put it here at Grace Community Church, He came to die the death you should have died. And He also came to live the life you could not live, and He did that for you. And when you understand this, that is freedom. Not only your sins are forgiven, but you are credited with the perfect spotless record of His righteousness. And you see what that means is now we can finally stop. We can finally stop trying to prove to ourselves and to others and even to God that we have value in and of ourselves. And we can stop trying to prove our importance and our beauty and our desirability and our lovability. Because when you are clothed in the righteousness of this servant, you could not be more loved. You could not be more accepted. You could not be more desired than you already are by the King of Kings. Okay, finally and third, the servant's great exaltation. All of this is humbling, right? To think about the greatness of our sin, to think about the greatness of Jesus' substitution for us, But I think this might be the most humbling point of all, because the end of verse 11 really highlights Jesus' substitution for us, right? It says says that He came to bear our iniquities on the one hand, right, and to account us as righteous on the other hand. But listen to the first part of that verse, verse 11. Out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. Isaiah is saying that his satisfaction and his reward for what he came to do, his delight and his pleasure was seeing all your sins paid for and you credited with his righteousness. How profound and how deep must his love for you be? Right? I've marveled for some time over something the author of Hebrews wrote um, And he wrote this. He wrote, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, 
For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The question is this, what was the joy set before him? Right? What was the joy set before the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? What was the joy set before the one whose glory is above the heavens? Who sustains all things by the word of his power? What was the joy set before him? Right? What was missing? It was you. You were the joy set before him. That's why he left heaven. That's why he came as the puzzling and upside down and sacrificial and voluntary servant, because you were the joy set before him. He came to win you, to redeem you, to forgive you, to credit you with his righteousness. A young couple, I'm going to close with this, a young couple living in Nashville, this is years ago, they became Christians and they were married and eventually this young couple had a baby on the way. And The pregnancy and the delivery went perfectly, a healthy mother and a healthy child in the hospital. But in the nursery at this particular hospital, a nurse made a terrible mistake, and she accidentally hooked up this young mother's child to an IV that had the wrong medication that was intended for another child. And whatever that medication was, it left this woman's child with irrevocable and severe brain damage. And um, the pastor of this woman's church, he went to visit this mother and her child in the hospital after he had heard this sad news. And he walked into the, the room and he found this young mother rocking her child and singing to her child. And he said, I, I came to see you once I heard the news, but I, I really don't know what to say. And she said, well, we're, we're fine. Um, and he asked, how can it be that you're fine with the news that you've received? And, and this is what she said. She said, I can imagine someone holding up my child and asking, who wants this baby? Right? This child will never be able to eat on his own. He'll never be able to say thank you for all you do for him. He'll go to the bathroom. He'll never be able to go to the bathroom by himself or ever be able to leave his bed. And she said this, I can see myself jumping up with joy and saying, I want this child. Right? And she went on to explain why. She said this, because I can picture someone holding me up and saying, who wants this woman? She'll gossip about you, she'll lie to you, she'll hate you, she'll disrespect you, she'll disappoint you again and again. And she said, and then I can picture Jesus jumping up with joy to say, I want that woman. Listen, this is the gospel. You, me, sinful and broken as we are, you were the joy set before Jesus. You were lifted up before Him. And he wanted you. And he came and his, and his satisfaction was found in his forgiving you, in his crediting you with his perfect righteousness through his work on the cross. And because you were his reward, Jesus' Father exalted him. Verse 12, he gave him a portion with the many or a portion with the great and divided the spoils of the strong. Here's how Paul put it to 
the Philippians. And I've referenced Paul in this passage throughout um, this morning. But he's, he was saying, because Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, because he made himself nothing for you, because he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, this is what Paul said. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, like the woman in that story we just talked about, if you get that and if you can believe that and understand that, it will change your perspective on everything, and it will set you free even as you are humbled by the King who came to substitute Himself for you and to pay for your great sin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for the good news of the gospel that we are reminded of in the Christmas story, that You did not ask us to climb the ladder to you, but you came down the ladder to us in your son Jesus. You came in the flesh, the glory of God, and you substituted yourself for us. Died the death we should have died. Your son lived the life we could not live in order to give us his own righteousness. Father, we pray this morning that this good news really would set us free and that it would change us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.